Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. I was hoping you'd come in with a trumpet solo as you arrived today. Just just tooting away majestically on my magic trumpet? Yeah. Maybe later. Okay, okay, good. I look forward to that. What are we talking about today, Peter? Well, people seem to enjoy these investigator-specific episodes, so we thought we would do one. And uh, I think you've dropped a pretty heavy hint as to who we're going to be talking about. We're going. That's right, right. Zoe right. Samaras. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've made that exact joke. Yeah, previously. Zoe is my go-to comedy <laughs> character. She's really into reading and music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going right the way back to Dunwich and looking at Jim Culver, the musician. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, well, what are his stats? What's his card read? So Jim Culver, the musician, he's a mystic. He has four willpower, three intellect, three combat, and two agility. And he has uh, seven health and eight sanity. He has the trait performer, and his special ability is treat the modifier on skull tokens you reveal as zero. Anytime you reveal an elder sign token, you may choose to instead treat it as a skull token. Elder sign effect, plus one. No, not quiet at all. Dead folk get downright rambunctious when I play my horn. Nice. And he must be the most snappily dressed of all of the investigators as well, surely. Yeah, I can't make a joke about Zoe. She's covered in blood. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, there's Jim. An odd ability, when we first read it, we weren't quite sure what to make of it, right? Hmm, yeah. We're casting our minds back quite away now to when we first read this. I would say that in the life of this game, for a lot of that time, we've been waiting for the payoff on why you would want to forfeit a plus one and turn it into a zero and it's slowly coming to the fore isn't it i think i think part of why we want to look at jim now so i'll just flip the card over and and run through his deck building rules so he's got a deck size of 30 nothing exciting there mystic cards level zero to five neutral cards level zero to five and then like all of the dunwich investigators up to five level zero cards from any other class and Everyone knows this, but they could be five cards from four different factions or all five from one, whatever you like. Uh, His deck building requirements, which do not count towards deck size, are Jim's Trumpet, Final Rhapsody, and one random basic weakness. So I I think, yeah, we've said we we didn't quite get a a hold of his ability or kind of quite grok it when he he was first announced. Uh, And he's actually had a bit of a, a bit of stick, hasn't he? as potentially being one of the weaker investigators. Yes, yeah. Why do you think why do you think that is? Um I think probably a few reasons. The fact that his ability is quite hard to gauge in terms of power is one that means you don't sit there playing him being like, "Yes, I've just killed another Whippoorwill with horror as Agnes or yes, I've just done even more damage as Zoe." You you don't have that kind of tangible effect going on it's just oh i drew a zero instead of a minus two aren't i great and then i think also the fact that he's in agnes's shadow was i would say a bigger reason why people didn't rate jim within that early card pool of justin dunwich if you wanted to play a mystic why not play one with a higher willpower a more offensive ability yes who could take even more off-class cards and yeah exactly at the point at, at the point he came out jim's card pool was pretty similar to uh, to Agnes's, right? In fact, yeah. more, more restricted, because yeah. he, he could take five survivor cards, whereas Agnes could take as many as she wanted. 
Uh, obviously, he yeah. could take some from other classes to maybe shore up his cluing ability if you're taking a magnifying glass, or he could take some weapons like a machete. Mm. Yeah. But the whole point of Mystic, as we could see it at the time, was to use your willpower instead of doing all this other stuff. So it was a bit of a mystery. And I actually tried to build a solo gym deck that I told you about. This is a long time ago now, but it was a not very many spells deck. So because it was solo, I wanted to not be caught in that mystic position of being like, oh no, I've not drawn shriveling. I'm completely helpless. And I thought, well, Jim has a quite good combat of three, you know, it's average. So I could lean into that instead a little bit and I wouldn't be relying on finding my spells. And I believe you said something like it was an idiotic idea or something along those lines to to discount... Yeah, I think when I was telling you about it, you were like, well, you're sort of unnaturally handicapping yourself by saying you're not going to go with the strength of the faction, which is spells. That seems very judgmental of me. <laughs> I think you were right. You know, I think I was, I was making <laughs> well, I mean, things unnecessarily <laughs> hard for myself. And then it evolved into a Dark Horse deck, but the less said about that, the better. So, so, so the difficulty then is to play to Jim's strengths and not try and replicate what he can do with spells with his out-of-action cards. And maybe yes. we, we're reaching a point now where we're able to do that. I think also one of the things about Jim's ability is that, as you said, it's subtle, so it doesn't have an immediate and obvious impact on the game. When you play more with Jim, you come to appreciate it more, and you start to see how often tests come up that you pass, either because, well, because you've drawn a skull, and or you know knowing you haven't committed what you would have committed if you're another investigator. So you might look at a skill test and think, right, I want to be too over this and throw in, you know, one of your guts or whatever. You're playing as Jim, you look at the skill test and you say, well, you know, I think on balance, I can probably take this either at plus one or plus zero over the difficulty. And then the skull shows up and you've passed it without having to commit anything at all. And you've been playing Jim recently. And have you have you been able to adapt your play style to switch from that, I'm going to go to two over, to sort of sitting at one over. The main change I guess I made was that I was less worried about icons and skill cards in particular. So I could pair those back and then dedicate the slots to cards which play into his ability. So cards which increase my chance of drawing a skull. And we'll get onto that later in the episode. We will. There's another reason I've gone back to Jim, but let's hold on to that for a minute until we've looked at his signature cards. Yeah, so his his ability is that skulls are zero, but then he also has his signature card, which is Jim's trumpet subtitle, The Dead Listen. This is an asset that takes up a hand slot. It costs two. It's item, instrument, and relic traded, and it has two willpower icons and a wild icon. So it's nice icons as well if you're not going to play it, but it has this reaction ability. When a skull token is revealed during a skill test... Exhaust Jim's trumpet, heal one horror from an investigator at your location or a connecting location. One of the things that took me a while to we're realize reading, about this is we're not that... reading the flavor text. Oh, sorry. It's a nice one. <laughs> Daddy used to say, Jazz is a lot like liquor, it makes everything go down a little smoother. Daddy used to say a lot of stupid things. I must admit, because we haven't read, we don't normally read the flavor text on the back of the investigator cards. But Jim's is, is one of my favourites. There's, there's a moment. Can I just read the specific sentence? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> the trumpet landed Jim a lot of gigs until the time it made Widow Jenkins get up and dance the day he played at her funeral. It's 
horrific. I just I, I, that sounds like an amazing funeral. <laughs> <laughs> amazing and terrifying. Yeah. So so I, the theme on this is lovely. So when when you draw a skull, that's typically back in the Dunwich Legacy. We talked briefly about what the the chaos tokens represent or the, the mm. special tokens, and it, sort of the skull token is representing death. I think. Yes. Uh, or yeah. maybe like despair is the, is the feeling associated with it. So Jim playing his trumpet, it's a more soothing melody. The worse things seem. And yeah. It, something delightfully noir about you know wandering through the the rain slick streets of Arkham, just hearing Jim's trumpet wafting the noise of Jim's trumpet wafting down the street and taking solace in that. Mm. And you can hear it from a connecting location as well. It's a nice like aura effect. You know, yeah. it's it's powerful in that way. I'm I'm glad you mentioned despair because one of the things that we now know more about the skull token than than when Jim came out is that often the skull effect on the scenario card is a scaling effect. Yes. It's normally not tied. I mean it has there are occasions when it's a fixed value, but certainly recently it's been minus x, x is the number of doom in play or locations in play or you know whatever other thing you're needing to achieve. It's it's quite often tied to doom, isn't it? Say, you know, is there doom at your location or doom on you or the number of doom on enemies? Yeah, or 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 the amount of progress you've made as well. The deeper you are into the scenario, the the further things have gone. It often is tied to something to do with that specific scenario, but yeah, it's often not actually a fixed value. So that too is something that's very interesting in trying to evaluate Jim's ability that another player, the skull might have become a minus four. But for Jim, it doesn't matter how how far you are into a scenario or how thing, how bad things have got. He's just not phased by the dead. He's not phased by that appearing. That plays into this difficulty of evaluating him and also is really thematic. I love that the trumpet is triggered when anyone reveals a skull as well. Yes. And I think you'll find during uh, higher player counts, say three or four players... It will show up almost every turn, especially when you're, you know, in the in the, the melee of taking tests and investigating. If you're just running away, you know, you're not taking tests. It's not going to appear. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you know, it, it, it's it's rare. When we've played with Jim in four play, it was rare that he didn't get a chance to use the trumpet. And in fact, it was more of a challenge positioning Jim near people who needed horror healing. Mm. Yeah, that's that's then the trick, isn't it? So, just one thing I want to briefly mention about the trumpet. He he pairs naturally well with someone who wants to take horror. So you you don't necessarily want to rely on the scenario to give you horror. He naturally pairs well with Agnes, who uses her sanity pool as, as a resource to damage enemies. Yeah. To people using cards like Forbidden Knowledge, whether you put that in Jim's deck yourself or Painkillers. Yeah. And finally, I think he's a really good pair. One of the reasons I'm I'm looking at him again is that arcane research has come out, which gives you a mental trauma when you take it, but can pay back quite a bit over mm. the course of the campaign in terms of experience. If you, earlier on in the scenario, you know, you might not have taken any horror from the encounter cards or the enemies. Jim's trumpet turning up early, you know, you can get in early and heal that horror you've taken from your, you know, arcane research. So the trumpet automatically has a use from the start of a scenario then, if you're already on trauma which is interesting. You, another reason to play it early if you can find it. Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, and then 
we'll move on to another reason I'm relooking at Jim, which is the the subtype on the trumpet is relic. The sorry, the trait on the on the trumpet is relic, which means that uh, Ellie Horowitz, Doctor Ellie Horowitz, can search for the trumpet through your deck. Because one of the things that's always been cited as a weakness of Jim is that he doesn't have his trumpet on hand and he doesn't really have access to many tutors that can go and dig it out of his deck. Yeah, I remember Jim decks running No Stone Unturned just as a way of hunting for the trumpet. You know, play No Stone Unturned, search the top six, play another copy of No Stone Unturned if you didn't find it to search again, just because what's the point in having this really powerful signature if you can't actually find it and get it into play? And what we've seen is a few cards... I mean, there's already a, a selection of powerful relics in uh, Mystic. So we've got, you know, the grotesque statue. We've got the mm. jewel of Ariolis. And, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the trumpet. And we've got the Chthonian stones now as well. So this... And, oh, and Spirit of Thame. Yeah, the, the, wow. there's, there's a really nice selection of relics there. So Ellie fits in perfectly as two of your, your uh, out-of-faction slots, even if you don't get the trumpet with it. And finally, the reason I really like this is because... It's always been a bit of a struggle with hand slots, especially back when Jim came out, maybe not so much now. The trumpet using up a hand slot was difficult uh, mm-hmm. with the other cards if you wanted a weapon and then something else and then suddenly you haven't got space for the trumpet. So yeah. Ellie's ability to hold a relic is good for the trumpet. It's also good if you've, say, you've gone back into Seeker and taken Tooth of Etsley as yeah. another one of your faction slots, then Ellie can wear that and then you know you can wear the jewel of Ariolis, because she she doesn't use the slot, does she? If when you when she finds a relic, yeah. So it it's really interesting, sort of what you're hitting on here, which is that because Jim is well rounded, he might have competition in his hand slot and his accessory slot, and maybe his arcane slots, depending on what combination he's running. Like you know, in hands, if you are running machete, flashlight, you've already got the trumpet. Maybe you're running ritual candles or a grotesque statue. Like already, that's a lot of competition. And then, yeah, if you're running holy rosary and the jewel, there's or competition maybe, in that slot. Yeah, maybe some Huffpur's key as well. Yeah, well, you're just sort of loading them up. So something that gives you a helpful option for lots of slots is really cool in Doctor Ellie Horowitz. But Jim's love of skulls is not all good. Do you want to read us final rhapsody? I will indeed. So. This is a Treachery Weakness, Final Rhapsody. It has the uh, the trait End Times. Revelation, reveal five Chaos Tokens from the Chaos Bag. For each Skull or Tentacles Token revealed, take one damage and one horror. When the dead start talking about what scares them, that's when it's time to listen. And the art on this is really striking. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I mean, what what is notable is that Jim, the, the, the art on Jim his trumpet and Final Rhapsody, they all feature a trumpet. You know, his suit is prominent in two of them. And this card is what looks like a, a rotted hand emerging from a swamp holding a trumpet. What's unclear to me is the connection of the art to Jim, whether this is a vision of what... You know, is that him that he's seeing? Mm. I don't know how you interpret this. That's really good. I always thought it was him being dragged under. It, quite possibly, but his hand does look... I don't know. Maybe I'm... I can't see it. No, well. no, you, you, but you might be right. But in, So in my interpretation, he's... The last thing he wants to, to hit the water is the trumpet. And he's sort of protecting the trumpet above his own body. Yeah. Because it's a magic trumpet. But, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's where did he get the trumpet? I don't know. 
I always thought it was slightly dreamy. There's that kind of like pink wash in the background of the image. Yes. But yeah. When you reveal these tokens, you take all five at once. It's not that you do one and put it back and another and put it back. So that's useful to know because when you know the composition of a bag, you know, if you're playing in the core set, there are two skulls and one auto fail. So the most you can take is three damage and three horror. But when you go into Carcosa, this becomes even worse. Well, it's interesting then that his ability, well, the weakness becomes worse as his ability becomes more useful. I also love this, but we often see this tension between a weakness and a signature you know, asset or positive card. And this one really works well for me for Jim, that you're always wanting to draw Skull from the bag because it's so great. It's a zero. It's very easy. You can trigger the trumpet until you get Final Rhapsody. And then that's the last token you want to see. And, you know, if, you're, if your luck is anything like mine, the point at which you suddenly see Skulls is when you're drawing <laughs> for Final Rhapsody. I think ultimately it's, it's not... A terrible weakness, this one. The very worst that's going to happen is you take three damage and three... Horror. Well, no, not the very worst. Yeah, most of the time the very worst. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, three damage and three horror, maybe, thereabouts. I mean, obviously, if you're low on health and horror, that could be... Uh, health and sanity, rather, that could be an instant kill. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's just damage and horror, you know. You can heal it with, you know, various event cards if it's, if it's damage, or someone else in your party can heal it. And you've got an inbuilt way of healing horror as well. Mm-hmm. I've had yeah. I've had situations where it's done nothing or one damage and one horror, which for a signature weakness I think is is pretty good. I would completely agree. It also because you know that the signature weakness is in there. Actually, one of the things I've done with building gym decks is, and we should talk about some deck compositions here, because I've known that I have damage and horror coming down the pipe. I've lent into being a sort of healer character, so I've taken emergency aid. I've relied on finding the trumpet to heal horror. And that means if you then get hit by a nasty final rhapsody, you're ready to heal it. But also if you haven't been hit by a nasty final rhapsody, you're able to heal other people and make them push on harder, take more damage, because you know that you can kind of protect them. So in a three-player group, I was doing some clue finding. And then the, the, the other thing I was doing was bandaging up Zoe, bandaging up Ashcan Pete, encouraging them to kind of push on because I was able to support them. And that was quite a fun, fun way of playing. Yeah, I mean, one of the very first decks I built for, for Jim, which I think is, I'd planned it out just before the Dunwich box came out, uh, had him using Liquid Courage. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah which, which I mean, to an extent it was overkill because he had his trumpet as well and he sort of wanted to get the trumpet and then he was also healing horror with the Liquid Courage. But it was thematic as hell, so just this... Heavy drinking musician. Yeah, sort of noir. <laughs> Sitting at the back of a smoky bar, slowly playing on his on his trumpet, handing out sips of whiskey. It was, nice. it was, it was, it was good, I liked it. We, we've talked a lot about the kind of cards we like in, in Jim and the kind of things he can do. And we've talked about decks we've made. Are there any... If we're going to slot him into an archetype, what where does he fit in the pantheon of Arkham Investigators? Oh, good question. I mean, mystics. This is a difficult question to ask of any mystic, right? Because yeah, mystics can because they can leverage their willpower to do a bunch of different stuff. They're as flexible mm. as the availability of spells. Yeah, for the labyrinth events I've run, I say to people, pick a role so I can sort you into a team. And the roles I offer are fighter, clue getter, support wild or mystic (laughs) because if you say you're going to be a mystic that doesn't mean you're necessarily doing any one thing and you can so easily lean into all of them so someone like agnes immediately slots into 
although she can take the same variety of spells and in fact some other clue tools from Survivor, so I like look what I found, she naturally mm-hmm. lends herself to a more offensive role because of her ability. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jim, you know, that that's again, I think, where Jim was in the sh- shadows for a certain amount of time, or certainly in her shadow. His ability doesn't lean itself any particular way. His stat line is very broad. His health and sanity we haven't mentioned, but they're decent and kind of don't, they don't have any weaknesses there. Seven, eight is about as good as you get for a spread. So yeah, that leaves him kind of just floating around. They're like the where I would fit him in is kind of all round good guy. <laughs> like yeah, consistent Jim. I think is a deck name that I've seen before. It's it sort of sits at a certain reasonable level. How about you? Where where would you slot him in? I, I think yeah, same as you. Really, he sort of fits into that that mystic hybrid role where you can you can tech him based on your your spell choices. So you could go down a heavier spell cast, a heavier combat route with spells like shriveling uh, and storm spirits, or you can go down more of a support route, uh, or even you know just a you could almost build a pure evasion spellcaster now if you use the mists and blinding light. Yeah, you can really shore up that two agility if that's the route you wanted to go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think he's like a lot of mystics. He's really flexible. Which is yeah. maybe something that puts people off trying to build with them as well. I, I think I've said in the past I quite like it when someone's got an obvious strength because I can build to that. Yes, that and that's why you love Lola, right? <laughs> God, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at all my favorite investigators, so you know Daisy, Zoe, uh, Agnes, you know they, they've all got. I can, I can. I've got something I can hang my hat on and say, right, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> and then I can spread out from there. But Jim you know, to an extent, he's a bit more of an unknown quantity. Mm. So a lot of the deck building work that goes on around Jim is working out who else is in your team. What role are you going to be performing within that group? How do you want to proceed? It's funny, actually, you mentioned spellcasting. There was one other thing I wanted, one point I wanted to make. I feel like there's quite a big difference between willpower four and willpower five, because often the lower level spells don't provide a willpower boost in the way that a machete or a 45 automatic does provide a combat boost. So relying on shriveling to fight as Jim is a slightly different proposition than relying on shriveling to fight as Agnes or Akachi. I found myself ending up teching in more willpower icons to deal with that until I'm able to get to shriveling level three, where the, the boost is inbuilt into the card. Exactly, yeah. I think that's another way that Jim has floundered slightly, is not having that extra boost. Yeah, and I think there's two things that mitigate that, in my opinion. Now we have arcane research as of the latest pack. I think Jim is loves those that boost from the upgraded spells. So whether it's shriveling or right of seeking, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make this claim now. This cycle we'll see an upgrade to the mists as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe uh, sort of pack four or five. I think that would it would match the pattern we saw with right of seeking uh, and shriveling. That we'll see that you know the spell earlier in the cycle has been upgraded later in the cycle gosh what would it do it would it would probably still have the move it would give it a plus two willpower boost do you think it would evade all enemies at your location rather oh, than that one? seems really good say four xp for that you'd be getting the the boost and the evade and then i think the penalty would be losing more cards from your hand maybe maybe if you draw one of those tokens that seems reasonable 
Anyway, so so my, my thought would be arcane research lets you get into those higher level versions earlier in the campaign without neglecting other areas of your deck you might want to upgrade as well. So if you take two arcane research, for example, after the first game, for a single experience point, you're then on shriveling three. Yeah. And even if you just work your way around the shrivelings with arcane research, you can get to level five after scenario four. Is that right? Yeah. With two or with one? If you have two arcane research after scenario four, you could have upgraded all your shrivelings to the to the maximum level, so level five, spending mm-hmm. two experience points total. <laughs> really nice, yeah. That experience you would have spent investing in your spells and your basic ability can then go on to whatever else you want. You know, but we've seen a bunch of other cards which we'll talk about very soon. So, but you know, maybe you've then got the experience to spend on Seal of the Elder Sign or mm-hmm. a Time Warp. Obviously, what's the new one? Recall the future. Counter spell. Counter spell. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of choices now for what you lean into with the the kind of funky spells. Yeah. <laughs> They're not the the core stat spells. The ones that are just yeah crazy effects. We should get a better name for them. Yeah. <laughs> and then I th- the other thing is that we 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 touch on this a few times now, but I think if we were going to tell people one thing they should learn before they play gym it's understand the chaos bag yeah and this has come up at a slight tangent to what we're talking about here this has come up with sealing tokens and i know some people are saying with the chthonian stone or the codex of the ages uh, the chthonian stone especially it seems like you're more likely to draw the autofail token this mm. i mean well you are <laughs> you're more likely to draw the autofail token but that doesn't translate to an increased probability of failing the test you're taking, especially if you've taken out a token with a high modifier on it. So removing more tokens that will make you fail has a better effect on your chances of passing the test. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. So it's a slightly different way of looking at the seal mechanic. And I think it's an important one to remember for Jim, especially when you get onto higher difficulties as well. Yeah, I think I think it's just hard because of the raw numbers, but yeah, I think I think it's good. I think the the more general point that you care about the bag is so relevant, particularly with tokens that are sliding in scale for for number, for for sort of modifier, that that just is vital that you care about it, know what your chances are of pulling skulls, know where you sit at the bag. It's he has his own game going on with the chaos bag that everyone else doesn't. It doesn't matter what everyone else's chances are because your chances are different. So yeah. We've talked around this a little bit, but I think now soon has arrived, soon as now. <laughs> when you mentioned upgrading and having spare experience for the other things you wanted to lean into for a gym deck, I think because his ability cares about the tokens in the chaos bag, cards that allow you to lean into that ability or interact with the chaos bag more become more and more useful. So in terms of XP, that means Grotesque Statue feels to me like a no-brainer purchase for Jim, because when you draw a token, you can instead draw two and see which one you want to draw. It provides a bit of mitigation for Final Rhapsody if you're worried about being killed by Final Rhapsody and it provides a way of fishing for those skulls to keep up your consistency and and keep passing. What other cards have you found are really useful for leaning into Jim's Chaos Bag skills? So we've seen a few that have come out very recently and some that are announced which I think 
play into this ability of Jim to manipulate the Chaos Bag. In the Forgotten Age box set, we had both Protective Incantation and Dark Prophecy. Protective Incantation, I think, generally useful, although it's using a, an arcane slot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's quite heavy on resources. So those are both things you want to look at before you go to include it. But for just one XP and one resource, you can seal any token. And sealing a high negative value token really boosts, especially early on in the Forgotten Age, where there's, there's what is it, two skulls and an elder thing mm-hmm. yeah. in the bag. So, you know, maybe sealing the elder thing, locking away the minus five, suddenly Jim's bag is looking a lot easier to pass tests with, even more so if you're at higher difficulties. Yeah. We also had Dark Prophecy, which you play when you would reveal a Chaos token and you reveal five tokens, sounds familiar, <laughs> instead of one, hoping to get a skull, basically, in that, in that set. You either want a skull or no tokens, no special tokens at all, because then you pick which one you're going to resolve. Uh, and this can be almost as good as guaranteeing a success for Jim. I would advise... Caution for that. I, I used it in uh, what was I playing? Path to Carcosa, and I drew the only special token I drew was a broken tablet. Ooh, okay. Yeah, uh, which meant I failed the test, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> which was rough. But that's a really good card for Jim. I think I, I just imagine it's a bit of a no-brainer. Now picture this for a fun situation as well. You can play Dark Prophecy when you're about to reveal tokens from Final Rhapsody. Oh God. And. When you So you could play, for the first token you pull for a Final Rhapsody, you could play Dark Prophecy and pull five. And then for the second token you reveal for Dark Prophecy, for Final Rhapsody, you could play your second Dark Prophecy and reveal another five. And then you could reveal your last three tokens. So you would have pulled 13 tokens from the bag, and you'd be hoping that the first five you pulled didn't have a skull or auto-fail in them. So essentially were blank. And then the second five also didn't. And then the last three. Or, yeah, some other kind of weird, bullshitty way of essentially seeing the entire bag. Yeah, yeah. And I see, like, Dark Prophecy is clearly geared towards forcing you to pick the skulls and auto-fail so that you can't use it to dodge situations like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is worth mentioning is that we've seen coming up in the next few packs some cards which play interestingly with the the chaos bag so there's one in the boundary beyond is that, mm-hmm. the, is that the next one that's the next pack yeah the boundary yeah. beyond and we've got a card there which is recall the future where you can name a chaos token if you reveal it you get plus two skill value that doesn't tie in directly to being making his ability better but with all the other cards like grotesque statue that become that works with those so mm-hmm. If I, you know, if I use Grotesque Statue and I say Skull, I draw two tokens with either Dark Prophecy or Grotesque Statue. I draw a load of, load of tokens and I get the Skull there. Boom, I've suddenly gone from, you know, I'm taking a test at plus two skill value. Yeah. I've passed a test at plus two skill value, rather. Exactly. I was going to say the other thing is that if you're going for that consistent gym build and maybe running, say, Lucky for plus two boosts as well, you can target the special token that's going to really punish you say a cultist is minus four or something like that and know that you're turning that into a minus two and you're dragging another token from the point at which you'd fail to the pulling it back over into the success side of the bag which is really smashing uh, and then finally we've got an ally who uh, oliver oh, sorry olive mcbride 
uh, who's uh, she's a witch. Mm. And she, when you would reveal a curse token, you exhaust her and then reveal three tokens instead of one. And you choose two of those tokens to resolve and ignore the other. And resolving two means that you add their modifier together. So if you've got a plus one and a minus two, you'd end up with a minus one. Or if you've got a minus two and a minus three, you'd end up with a minus five. And similarly, if they were special tokens, you'd resolve all of the additional effects of a special token. So if it was take a damage from the cultist and take a horror from the tablet, you'd end up taking a damage and a horror as well as combining their modifiers. But out of everyone, Jim is able to best pick tokens that give a positive outcome for him. Mm. Uh, he could even use cards like, and um, someone's about to take a drink here, uh, like Defiance, to further wow. further filter yes. the cards which are going to have a negative effect on your skill tests. Mm. And with Olive, you've got more zeros in the bag because your Jim and Skull's zeros, and you can guarantee not picking the auto-fail because as you, even if the auto-fail is one of the three that you've revealed, you can choose the other two uh, and essentially pass. I mean, imagine if you reveal skull-skull auto-fail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <Just> perfect. <laughs> yeah. But I guess what we're trying to drive at here is Jim... And this goes into the final point we usually make in these episodes, which is why we enjoy playing these investigators that we've talked about. Yeah. Jim, more than any of the other investigators, I guess you might call him a high skill ceiling. So the better you understand the Chaos Bag and what you're doing, the better you're able to use him and his ability. So everything works together towards this common goal of making him far more reliable at taking tests. Mm. that's really what his power is. He's better at passing tests than anyone else. I'm thinking actually weirdly of, of Wendy at this point and the power of Wendy of that redraw and how that feeds into how you play that you will keep cards back from committing them with a hope of going a second time. And Jim's doing a similar but distinct thing, which is fishing for particular tokens and wanting to increase the number of tokens he sees because tokens that he sees that would hurt other investigators don't affect him. Yes, which is why my, my top pick is an out-of-action card for Jim. Once you've built this deck that is able to do whatever you want with the Chaos Pack, is uh, let me handle this. Wow, <laughs> okay. Because you, know, you want to be the one taking the tough test. Exactly, especially if you've also got Tooth of Etsley in your deck. And then encourage all of your, your, um, your colleagues to put um, you handle this one. In their decks. <laughs> so basically, Jim's just doing the mythos page for everyone. Wow, nice. Yeah. Jim will fix it. Is that the name of the deck? <laughs> That's a great... Just let me get on to, to Arkham DB. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's that's sort of where I'm coming from with why I'm thinking more about Jim now and why people who've dismissed him based on experience with him earlier on could maybe do with taking another look at him now. There are so many cards that now lean into this chaos bag manipulation style that is definitely worth a reconsideration. And I think also, weirdly, having a second Mystic with a similar stat line, that 4-3, 2-3 for Mateo, also sort of prompts like, well, hang on, there's now two different Mystic stat lines. There's two Mystics with Willpower 5 and three Mystics, if you count Marie, with Willpower 4. Like... What's this different style like? What what are ways that we can lean into that sort of generalist style? And yeah, Jim is Jim is a fantastic generalist, I would say. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think maybe this has come through earlier on when we were talking about him. I think he's absolutely dripping with theme as well. Mm, yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I remember him always in Eldritch Horror being a bit of an odd fish because he didn't have a kind of one strong suit. 
But he's exactly the example of an investigator that if you could tool up enough, they could turn their hand to almost anything. And they're just very satisfying in that way. I think it plays out in a similar way in Arkham Horror. What was his ability in Eldritch Horror? So he had um, an action ability that was each investigator on your space recovers a sanity and his passive ability was that investigators in your space roll one additional die when resolving tests during combat encounters. So he was the... Like, this is the weird thing. His his ability made him seem like he was a fighter, but his stat line, I think strength was two and will was three, so he wasn't, like, a great fighter in terms of stat. Yeah. There was a real tension there of what you do with him. It's funny, actually, looking online, there's a whole thing that's saying team role with his passive ability and starting equipment, he's good for taking on monsters and dealing with other world encounters. And I found that if you rush to fight monsters with him, you'd run into trouble. So you had to kind of tool up a bit. Okay. Well, I, I've just looked him up in the board game as well. I remember him now. Now I've seen the art. So his, his unique ability is called the Dead Man's Stomp. Okay. Where you can spend a clue token to automatically pass a combat check against an undead monster. But also, okay. that, which, which is, that's quite good, I think. It's been a long time since I've played the board game. And he also has an ability called Strange Luck. Other worlds are considered to have a green encounter symbol for you in addition to their normal encounter symbols. It's been so long since I played Arkham Horror the board game, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I thought you meant Eldritch when I said Corset. He was right, Corset okay. Eldritch Horror, but oh, no, hang I don't on, know no, what I he was in Arkham didn't Horror. have him because he's yeah. the Dunwich Horror expansion, which I didn't get. I had Innsmouth and a couple of the the smaller boxes. Okay. Yeah. So I can't remember what his other ability does. But he's good at fighting skeletons. So there you go. <laughs> so that's our, our gym discussion. If you have a good solo gym deck, I'd love to see it. You could send it to us on Facebook. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook. On Twitter, we're drawn to the flame. And we're also drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. And you might also want to check us out on Patreon. www.patreon.com forward slash drawn to the flame. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am everywhere as United. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on uh, the Reddit. I'm on Twitter. I'm on the Discord. So say hello. How about you, Frank? I'm on Twitter as F-B. That's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. And I'm around the place as Zooey Glass or Zozo. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. (laughs) 